Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Risk Acumen podcast, which offers thoughtful insight around risk engineering and management. Now, mental health is a subject which often dominates the mainstream agenda. But what about the the manageable risks it presents to organisations and the people that work within them? My guest today is Peter Larkham, who is a well-known speaker on the subject, as well as an award winner for both his mental health first aid instruction and mentality training courses. Peter's clients include the likes of the Ministry of Defence, the NHS, Experian, HSBC and Boots, among others. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me. Now, before we begin to talk about, well, all kinds of things, such as the new ISO standard on managing psychological risk and and legal liability issues around mental health, tell me a little bit about why you do what you do, Peter. Oh, why do I do what I do? Um, I suppose kind of my, my journey started, if I can be honest, all the way back in 1997 when I first started to engage with youth work. So I'm a youth worker by by trade. So helping young people understand uh, emotional literacy. And Mm -hmm. emotional literacy is to understand what you feel and understand why you feel like that. Now, it sounds fairly simple. And yet most people never put those two pieces of information together. And so I started to see young people dramatically change their lives because they suddenly had this realization that they were allowed to firstly understand what they were feeling at any time, but also ask the question of, do I want to keep feeling like this? Because if the answer is then no, then we can start asking the question of, so what are we going to do differently? And through that time as a youth worker, I started to see young people, like I say, dramatically change their lives. And it Got me to a place back in 2009 when I set up a company focusing in on the PSHCE curriculum in schools, which for me is everything you need to learn in life, but you don't get taught in a normal lesson. That's that's your PSHCE. And um, through that, I then got involved with a company who were doing mental health training in the workplace. And it was then that I suddenly had the connection between emotional literacy and mental health. And I suddenly was like, oh, I need more information. And so I then became <laughs> a mental health instructor. And yet the whole process has constantly been through the, the lens of seeing people dramatically change their lives because there's a light bulb moment that, you know what, mental health isn't just something that happens to other people, but it is something that can happen to me. I'm just as vulnerable as anyone else. And once we begin to identify that, then we begin to think, how do I look after myself? But also, how do I look after the people that are around me, my friends, family members, my work colleagues? And so I suppose kind of the whole reason why did I get into this is because I, I desperately want to see the the language and understanding of mental health and emotional literacy to be available and understood by everybody. Yeah, and I can understand why you've reached the point that you have in terms of working with these larger employers as well, because that just extends extends your audience. Now, I mentioned in the intro that mental health is a is a big topic these days. You almost feel sometimes like you can't get away from it with royalty and sport and stars and and so on highlighting. But talk to me about the scope of mental health, Peter, because I know it's very broad. Mm. And and whether you think all of this attention is is actually a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> good thing uh, and bad thing. Isn't that a great answer? Yeah, it's both. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 
let's try and put it back into a, a time frame. So back in 2016, Norman Lamb put a paper to the government that said mental health first aid should be recognised alongside first aid at work. Because first aid at work is recognised across the board as good practice, you know. But first aid at work also goes from here's a plaster because you've got a paper cut through to, oh my gosh, you've broken your arm, to uh, let's resuscitate you because you've had a heart attack, you know, yeah. and save someone's life. And the mental health first aid framework is pretty much the same, just looking at it from a mental health perspective. So the, the plaster may be, hey, do you want a cup of coffee? Let's go and have a chat. And the life-saving part of it is to ask directly uh, about suicide risk and... Uh, then it gets a much more complex and much more in-depth, just the same as trying to resuscitate someone and learning those behaviours and, and and skills. So uh, that was 2016. Then in 2017, uh, the Royals created their Head Together campaign, which is where Prince William and Prince Harry did the, the London Marathon and the Head Together campaign, which really kick-started a much wider awareness of mental health and mental health in the workplace specifically. Um, and then through that, it's almost been a, a nuclear button where it's become such a big agenda and then COVID hit. And mm-hmm. COVID has added a whole other dimension to our understanding of mental health because I believe personally that some people have experienced mental health for themselves for the first time in their lives. And what I mean by that is not mental health illnesses, and we've got to get away from mental health meaning mental health illnesses, because it doesn't. Just the same as physical health doesn't mean physical illnesses. They are two very different things. Um, But what it has created is a language where we have understood isolation, we've understood loneliness, we've understood uh, anxiety, we've understood depression, we've understood all of these things for ourselves in the context of COVID and the lockdown and the uncertainty and the apprehension around job security and family dynamics and travel and everything that we took for granted was suddenly whipped out from underneath us, which created a lot of internal mental health processing that a lot of people found uneasy and unsure and now on the on the kick side of that other people have absolutely loved it and this is what i find fascinating <laughs> is that almost with every single conversation i have with someone there is a different dynamic being shared about the impact that lockdown has had whether it's been positive or negative you know yeah um, and just yesterday, I, I met a, a local dad on the way back from from school, and uh, he was with his wife. And uh, I'd never actually met him before. I'd met her before, and she, she was like, "Oh, and this is my husband, who's basically been a, a gremlin in our house for the last eighteen months, and he hasn't really left it because of needing to be at work and all of this, because he was working on American time." So it meant that he rarely got out on the school runs and was just in a whole different time zone. But he said, you know what, I would view myself as someone who was fairly mentally robust, you know, pretty resilient. But I've got to admit that I've struggled, especially since Christmas. Now, this has brought another interesting dynamic. So we went through lockdown one, lockdown two, lockdown three, and we kind of got to Christmas and thought, you know what, we're going to get out the other side. The vaccine is is on the horizon. And then we hit lockdown in January. 
And I think yeah. a lot of people at that point were like, you know what? I've simply had enough of this. And that feeling kind of went from January through to probably July, uh, in honesty, before the summer holidays kicked off, where we were waiting for the announcement on the 18th of July that said, yes, we're allowed to start to go out. We're allowed to engage. We're allowed to have holidays. We're allowed to uh, get back to the office. We're, uh, and all these different dynamics um, that people have been holding on to. And then on the flip side of that, we've now got the situation where people are going, I don't know if I want to go back to work uh, or not stop back to the back, back to the office. I don't know if I want to go back to the office because that means I've got to go back on the trains. I've got to go back through the commute and I've got to go back through X, Y, and Z. Um, and I don't know if that's actually what's going to be healthy for me anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I saw a fantastic statistic around this, which is that before lockdown, 60% of the UK workforce had never worked from home. And then post lockdown, only 9% want to return to how work was before, which is quite a significant shift and change in people's understanding of uh, how work works, but also what works for them. Yeah. And I guess it's a wake up for employers in many respects in terms of how people think and how their thoughts will have changed mm. as well as a consequence of that. Yes. Uh, and the whole question of this hybrid working coming in for X number of days, working from home X number of days. And again, one of the dynamics which I'm facing just in, in my local area with my uh, kids' primary school is the number of parents now that are working from home more regularly but they don't have the social engagement of the office environment. And so a question as parents of the local primary school is, do we create an out-of-office social platform where people who are working from home can still have social engagement and meet other adults? Because otherwise you can very easily sit in your own house for weeks on end and not really have any social interaction with other people. Okay, now let's turn this around, Peter, and, and let's look at this from the employer's perspective. Um, and you, of course, you, as I mentioned, you work with some pretty major employers um, around tackling mental ill health. Where, why do they choose to work with you, Peter? And, and what are the real benefits to them in managing the risks? Hmm. Good question. Why focus on mental health training in the workplace? Um, firstly, we spend most of our time in a working environment. 40 hours a week, on average, is spent kind of in some form of working engagement, whether that's uh, what it used to be in the office or uh, in the working environment at home, which means that employers do need to look after the mental health of their staff. Now, if we're not careful, we go back to that feeling that mental health, we're talking about mental health illnesses, and I want to throw out the image. When you think about someone who is physically healthy, the image that comes to my mind is the billboard poster of someone running uh, alongside the beach with the sun setting in the background. And it's a really powerful, motivating image. And when you think of someone who is struggling with their mental health, the image is someone with their hands in their face, uh, sitting in the corner, rain pouring down the window. And the image in itself is fairly depressive. And we've actually got to start thinking about mental health in its positives. When somebody is in a positive mental health space, they are more productive. 
you know they are more engaged their uh, their functionality is higher their ability to engage and problem solve is more and what we then need to start thinking about is that we're not looking to prevent mental health illnesses we're looking to promote positive mental health and weirdly by promoting positive mental health we are preventing poor mental health by uh, default and there is a, a dynamic at the moment where yes we are looking at it probably through the lens of we need to prevent our staff from becoming unwell and i think we need to start looking now at how do we actively promote our staff to be thinking and pushing their own positive mental health much more uh, in the same way as kind of office places often have gym membership or space of lunchtime yoga sessions or a uh, space where they can physically engage and be healthy. We need to start creating a workplace that is mentally healthy as well. And that's what the ISO uh, 445003 uh, is really trying to focus in on as a standard for this year. Okay. Well, what about the What about the negatives as well, though? Uh, legal liability, for example, I guess that's not so clear cut, though. It must be a difficult thing to, for example, absolutely connect one employer with um, someone's mental ill health. Mm. You know, a physical accident can happen at work and be caused by work, but surely with mental health, it's a cocktail of issues relating to things both inside and outside of the workplace. So I'd take a point about the positives. Do, uh, do the negatives need to be managed from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, the negatives always need to be managed because it's about setting a standard. Uh, and if we don't look at it from the legal perspective, which encompasses unfair dismissal or discrimination or uh, lack of lack of provision, um, I suppose, then yeah. companies need to be able to put that in place. And now we're getting much better at that with things like the Employees Assistance Programme, counselling and therapy and access to help and support. But we've also got to have this conversation around uh, thriving versus surviving. Mm-hmm. Now, what I mean by that is if someone is in the workplace and they are unable to thrive or they are not thriving at the moment, there also needs to be a question of, is this the right space and environment and work context for this individual? Or is the dynamic of the workplace and the work pressures and the workload actually creating an environment where this person is going to be constantly struggling with their mental health. And uh, again, kind of talking to, to another friend who's an investment banker, he was saying burnout wasn't the long hours. He said, I could, I could deal with the long hours. The burnout was the anxiety of constant shifting deadlines and targets and never quite knowing whether I was going to achieve that daily, weekly, monthly target or not because it seemed like it was forever shifting and changing. And it was that level of anxiety that was underpinning every transaction and every phone call and every engagement that was causing the the burnout process for him. Um, And so there are elements in our workplace where we need to be thinking, is the way that we work and the engagement with our employers creating an instability for their mental health? Is it actually inducing anxiety? Is it creating the stresses? And if so, if we were to change the way that we work or change the, the way we communicate or change the, the team dynamic somehow, and these are all questions that, that need to be 
unpicked a lot more than we've got time for today. Yeah. To try and minimize or dismiss or or change the dynamics to alleviate unnecessary stresses. And one of the easiest arguments, and you'll hear it left, right, and center, is just the context of hours of email emails. And I worked with one company in London who made out-of-hours emails a disciplinary process. And the reason for that is because they began to realize that all the out-of-hours emails was them emailing each other. It was never external clients getting in contact with them. It was only ever them kind of emailing one another. Uh, And by making it a disciplinary process, they knocked it on the head within a month. And people would stop sending emails after five o'clock in the evening and before nine o'clock in the morning because of this acknowledgement from from senior management that actually this is an unhealthy practice that is waking people up in the middle of the night and forcing people to keep working late into the evenings and as soon as they wake up in the morning, which is unhealthy. Uh, and so that's just a very simplistic example. And it's such a difficult thing as well, isn't it? Because everyone has different perspectives on that. I'm sure you'd Mm. equally find somebody saying, I'd rather do the emails on an evening because then it's less to carry through the next day and I feel less stressed and I've cleared some of the things out. But I guess you've you've got to think of the impact on others (laughs) as well at the the same time. Now, Peter, you mentioned ISO 45003. Which is the standard for managing psychological risk? Mm. an occupational health and management system, just to get the, the title correct. What's your, what's your views on that, Peter? <laughs> uh, very broad and very deep. Um, yeah. But it's trying to keep it, keep it succinct and keep it simple. And at the risk of opus, oversimplifying, this is about the protecting an employee around the stress, stress at work or work-related stress. So through the mentality training, I talk about stress being the number one cause of mental health illnesses. And the more stressed we are, the more likely it is we're going to experience the signs and symptoms of mental health illnesses. And so the dynamic for the ISO uh, 45003 is to look very specifically around employees and what is causing or contributing to mental health illnesses within the workplace. Uh, and the example I gave a second being being a good example. Now, the other side of it, um, where the liability really kicks in, is where it is deemed that a company has not put these provisions in place. And there can be tracked evidence where an employee has been struggling with their mental health, looked for help, asked for help, reached out for help, and has felt like no help has been provided. Worst case scenario is then taking their life as a consequence. Yep. Now, the the legal side of it is then, is the company seen to be liable for that death? Has it been caused by or contributed to by the working environment? Has the person been seeking help? Have they acknowledged that they're struggling? And has the relevant help and support been, been provided? So there is a a fairly heavy edge to the standard that's been set for uh, the workplace. And it would be wrong not to highlight that because otherwise it's very easy to say, yeah, we need to have more conversations. We need to uh, be doing this. But actually 
workplaces need to be proving that they are putting more in place. And at the risk of kind of self-promotion, so feel free to, to edit this out if you need to. But <laughs> for me, that's where mentality kicks in because mentality is a training for everybody. It creates a base knowledge for the entire workforce, you know, um, yeah. which means that everybody has had access to a base level knowledge. Everybody has been given the skills to spot the signs of poor mental health in themselves and other people. And everybody has been given the top tips of where help is available, not only in their workplace, but also in their community. And when we start with that base level knowledge, a company can then say, look, everybody had access to this. Everybody completed this. Everybody knows where that help and support is. And if they haven't engaged with it, then there is a little bit that says that's on them because we do have to acknowledge that my mental health is my responsibility. And now that's very easy to say and very difficult to uh, implement. And I say difficult to implement because there are so many external pressures and forces and uh, processes that have an impact on my mental health. And it's very easy to get swallowed up by all those things uh which is where people become overwhelmed with their mental health yeah. fascinating so yeah the standard's obviously an important step and it's something that can kind of be benchmarked or measured measured against and uh, you mentioned self-promotion there i was going to ask you about your approach and, and training is obviously um the key from 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 your your perspective and i'm sure there'll be people out there want to know a bit more about mental health first aid mm -hmm. which sounds like a a really interesting concept peter it's a fantastic course um i am an absolute uh, ambassador of mental health first aid and mental health first aid england and the work that is being done the core courses at the moment especially with the online process is the half day awareness course and the full two-day course, which uh, for the online process, the quickest I'm covering it is over four mornings, four consecutive mornings. But the the more general, the more general practice for the online course is actually over ten days. So I deliver those on a Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday over two weeks, or a Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Friday, because there's a lot of information in in the online course that you've got to get through and understand. And sometimes by by pushing it and going through it too quickly, you miss so much stuff. But also in the in the awareness course, that's four hours. And to try and help you understand, the core subjects covered by Mental Health First Aid England is very much around uh, mental health illnesses and understanding of mental health illnesses. So through that, we look at um, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, self-harm, eating disorders, and suicide. And in the four-hour course... It's a skimming process. We literally kind of bounce over those topics, give a very bare awareness of those topics. And that's what the awareness course is about, saying, look, mental health is out there. Mental health illnesses affect all of us. And this is what, what we've got. And with the two-day course, it's much more in-depth. So it takes a four-hour process and delves deeper into a 12-hour or a 16-hour course in the context of the online with the with the self-learning activities. So as you can see, the, the full course is much more in-depth than the awareness. But those are the, the two main different courses at the moment with Mental Health First Aid England. Now, always like a good kind of summing up, but we've covered quite a lot here, Peter. But the, the, the kind of 
feeling I'm getting from from what you've said overall is that yes, there are considerable risks um, for employers and for us all, of course, around around mental health issues. But the way to tackle those is is primarily to focus on focus on the positive side of things. You, you know, look at that image as as, as you quite clearly illustrated of, of, of what a healthy um, situation would be like and support people towards that and support yourself towards achieving that. And then in essence, the risks will be managed in their own way. Mm, no, for sure. A, a possibly help, helpful way of trying to explain it is if I know that I want to get fitter and I want to uh, lose some body fat, uh, I know that I need to go to the gym. Yeah. But if I start using the wrong exercises and the wrong process, I'm not going to achieve the aim that I'm aiming for. And sometimes we see me going to the gym as a really healthy thing, but actually if I'm not achieving what it is that I want to achieve, there's no point me going to the gym and engaging with that. Right. And now sometimes with my mental health, I don't even know what activities or exercises I should be doing to be promoting my mental health. And this is where it's very easy to go, oh, engage with yoga. Oh, do some breathing exercises. Oh, do some meditation. Oh, and all those things are brilliant. Great. Absolutely. Yes. But also, if we're not understanding our own mental health journey and what we're wanting to achieve, then all those activities may actually be masking that we're not dealing with the core issues that are going on that are impacting on our mental health and that again there's so it's so much deeper and so much more specific but yes those things are good but also we need to explore the context of counseling and therapy we need to explore how physical health and mental health are engaged we've got to understand how nature plays its part we've got to understand how a social interaction is key and how how much more holistic we as individuals are and how much more holistic therefore our mental health is fantastic Oh, I hope that makes sense. That that kind yeah. of made sense in my head. Um. Yeah. No. Well, no, it worked for me. Brilliant. <laughs> no, Super. thanks, Peter. I mean, a, a lot of food for thought there, you know, around what is absolutely a, a fascinating subject. And I think sometimes people dismiss it because they just see it as, as I say, the world of celebrity and and and, and so on. And uh, you know, I think it's it is, is something we all need to understand what our role is both in supporting, as I said before, ourselves and supporting others around us. So, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much, Johnny. Yeah, great, great chatting to you, Peter. That's, and, uh, that's all for the latest episode of the Risk Acumen podcast. If you have any questions or comments around the topic we've been discussing today or anything else we've covered recently, please head to our LinkedIn page. You can find a link at www.riskacumen.co.uk. And until the next time, everyone, goodbye for now.